0: The text for this morning's sermon is First Samuel three one through twenty one. First Samuel three one through twenty one. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again, the third, again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrificing or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
1: Father, I just ask that You would help us this morning hear from You. Help us hear Your Word. God, this message is so important. It comes from this chapter. Lord, I pray that even right now our hearts would be ready to eat and taste of Your Word which points us to you, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us see through uh, the fog of all the distractions and things that uh, are fighting for our hearts. God, I pray that uh, you would get glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. January 2nd. And January 3rd of uh, 2009 was an exciting weekend for my family and I. We had a fun trip planned to Minneapolis. In 2009, the Vikings were actually good. And Brett Favre had come over from Green Bay And I found out what it was like to have a good quarterback uh, on my favorite team. And uh, as we were driving there with some friends of ours, we were planning on going to a Vikings game. And uh, it's amazing what happened, though, once we got there. So we're there for the weekend, and we decided that uh, we were going to go catch a service at uh, Bethlehem Baptist where John Piper was preaching at the time. And uh, they have a Saturday night service. Their church is kind of right by the dome. And then the next morning we were going to go to the football game. And uh, we. so this is like six years ago. This is pretty much at the point when God really just supernaturally lit my heart on fire to study, to hear preaching, to, um, yeah, just things that I unexplainable apart from uh, the work of God. And so we got there, and actually, interestingly enough, it was actually colder in the sanctuary that night than it is here. Their heater went out. It's middle of January. It's like 50 degrees. It's like you could pretty much see your breath. But I was sitting like, four rows back. And I'm sure I viewed man way too big. And <laughs> but John Piper was my one of the people that if I could meet anyone, I'd want to meet him. And so I'm sitting there listening to him preach. And after their service, uh Piper and three other elders stand up front and people can come forward for prayer and and you can talk with them while I don't even know what I was doing, but I was just, I didn't know what I was going to say, what I was going to talk about. I just knew I was getting in John Piper's line because I'm probably never going to see him again. And then I want to shake his hand, and then maybe I was hoping something would rub off. But I'm standing in line. I got hope sleeping on one shoulder, and I'm am nervous as can be. And I get up there, and I'm telling a whole bunch of incidents. Dentals that aren't that important, but anyways, I get up there and hope sleeping on his shoulder, and I start to tell him how thankful I am for his preaching that helped me see the glory of God in ways that I hadn't seen it before, and I get choked up and I'm and I kind of having a hard time even saying it, and uh, here. John Piper's looking at me, and he's got tears running down his face, and I'm going, man, this is pretty cool. But then I'm thinking, don't waste your opportunity crying here. You have one shot. So I thought, there's a question that I've been wrestling with. I said, can I ask you a theological question? And he said, yeah, totally. And the question I asked him is I said, can or did Jesus need to die for common grace? And what common grace is, is it's the doctrine that God even gives grace to the non believers and that they're not as sinful as they could be. And uh, the sun rises on them, they get to experience vacations, all sorts of good things they don't deserve. And my question is, is did Jesus have to die? in order for them to even get the grace of common grace? And his answer was this. He said, it's really a tough question. And he says the reason why is on the surface it seems like, yes, he, he does need to die for common grace. Otherwise, God would be unjust giving grace to people who don't deserve grace. It had to be paid for. But he says what makes it tricky is in Romans 2, 4, and 5, we read this. Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Common grace. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And then verse 5 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What he was pointing out is this. He says the reason why it's difficult is because God gives grace with people. He gives patience. He's patient with them. He gives them uh, time to repent. But he says if you don't repent. So God's doing this for all these non-believers out there. They're experiencing all sorts of pleasures they do not deserve. They didn't deserve to live because they were sinners and they're living for a time. But He says the reason why it's difficult is because if all that grace goes rejected, then it mounts up on them. Verse 5 says, they're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. So he's like, it's a difficult question because do we call mounting up wrath as grace? So his answer was, I think so, but it's difficult because, because of that common grace that's being rejected, wrath is being stored up for the non-believer. I say all that to say that I have good news for you and I have bad news for you, maybe. And it kind of depends, or it does depend, on which side of the fence you fall. Now, my sermon is on First Samuel 3. And you might be wondering why is the title of the sermon The Grace of God's Word? This is a passage we're all familiar with and we kind of get focused in on what Samuel's doing, but the main message in this passage is actually about God's Word. And the sermon is about this. And, and I, and I want to give you a charge at the beginning. And here's the charge. Since God speaks grace to the humble and judgment to the proud, which we're going to see in our text, tremble before His Word. Since God speaks grace to the humble and judgment to the proud, tremble before His Word. If you are proud, God's Word comes to you as judgment. It mounts up the grace of God's Word. We're going to see the grace of God when He speaks. But similarly, it will mount up into judgment if we're proud and the good news is though humble to be humble doesn't take skill it doesn't take perfection it takes trembling and falling before God and I want to bring out three main points that we see We're going to look at the gift of God's Word. We're going to look at the giver, the one who gives His Word. What is He like? And then we're going to look at the receiver of God's Word, which would be us. So let's look at the gift of His Word. Look at verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. He wasn't ministering to Eli. He's ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision. This passage or this chapter is bookend with no word at the beginning of the chapter and a prophet speaking the Word at the end of the chapter. And grace is happening in chapter 3 in Israel. This is a dark time in Israel. Everyone is doing what is right in their own mind. What's Israel like? People are doing what they want. God's Word is not before them. It was rare in those days. Last week, we looked at Hannah's song. And we said in the midst of evil, listen to her song. There's grace in the midst of dark days. Well, here we see the scene is set for God to speak. Why was the Word of God rare in those days? Because God was judging Israel for their idolatry. We find out in 1 Samuel 7.3 that Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods. God had let them go on their own for a time, doing everything they wanted. But God began to speak, which is grace. Now get this point. To not have God's Word is to have the judgment of God on you. If the Word of God is rare in your life, grace is not in your life all throughout the old testament when god withholds his word his word and he doesn't give a prophet it's judgment on israel in amos 8 verses 11 and 12 here's what the prophet threatens israel with or tells them is coming Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, and shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. When God was judging Israel, He gave them no word. People were running around in darkness looking for it, and there was no word. When the judgment of God comes upon Saul later in 1 Samuel, Saul says in chapter 28, verse 6, he says, I am in great distress for the... Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. I wonder what we think about the judgment of God on America. I hear all sorts of talk about how God is judging America and people are talking about politics. America, American Christians are being judged not by liberal politicians, but by pastors who, by sitting in churches under pastors that will not teach God's Word. That is the judgment of God on them. They can stay. We talk about this as an honorable thing. My parents went here, my grandparents went here, and I go through, I've been through 20 years of bad preaching. This is the judgment of God. This is not honorable. If you can sit in a place where God's word is not proclaimed, it is no different than it was in the Old Testament when God's word was rare. And in the American church, God's Word is rare. One commentator said, if contemporary believers have a church where social activities, committee meetings, and nifty programs have not eclipsed the place of the Word of God, if the teaching of the Word of God stands at the heart of the church's life, if there is a pulpit ministry where the Scriptures are clearly, accurately, and helpfully preached, then they are rich in the grace of God. I don't know if you realize that. The fact that I, the burden on me all week is to accurately give you what I know you need, whether you know you need it or not, I know you don't need me. And that is only by the grace of God. I would preach my own ideas if God had not had grace on me. It is by the grace of God if you come to sovereign grace not to toot our own horn, only to recognize the reality that I would not be preaching God's Word apart from His grace and you would not stay apart from God's grace. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 said, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's Word. Paul said, I'm not going to mess with it. I'm going to speak it plainly as it is. And it's my prayer, God keeps me, keeps Scott, keeps David, keeps elders in this church that will not care about anything more than preaching God's Word because that is grace to the people of God. God. Secondly, God reveals Himself in His Word. So to not have God's word is judgment. And secondly, the reason why God's word is grace to His people is because it points to Him. It reveals Him. Look at verses nineteen. And 21 of 1 Samuel 3, the back book end of this chapter. Here's what we read. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And look at what it says. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh well how did God appear at Shiloh look at what it says for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord God showed up at Shiloh in a vision by the word of the Lord that's how we see Him. That's why it's grace to have the Word of God. Is because the Word of God reveals who God is. Did you know we know nothing about God unless He reveals Himself to us in His Word? And if He does not reveal Himself to us in His Word, we can never be happy. We can never have true joy. If we cannot know God, then the very best thing in the universe, the very thing we're created for, is withheld from us. But in Israel, at the end of this chapter, they knew they had a prophet, and that prophet was Samuel, and God did not let His words fall. He spoke the words of God. That is the grace of God on the people of God. And thirdly, under this first point, to realize that God's Word is a gift is this, that God's words tingle in the ear and reveal His judgment on the proud, which is even grace. Have you ever drank a can of Coke that's been sitting out for five hours or Pepsi. This illustration is gonna, I know there's some people out there that actually like that, but. Ugh! That is what so many churches are giving their people. God's word does not tingle. In their ears. If God's word reveals Him, God's word is the most tingly, scary, awesome, extreme word that could ever be spoken. It is sharp. It cuts. It hurts. It heals. Look at what he says in verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. He's talking, God's talking in Israel. And he's saying, Samuel, when you speak it, everyone's ears are going to tingle. And the reason why is judgment is being spoken. But at the very moment, judgment is being spoken. God's glory is being lifted up and put on display, saying my temple will not be made a mockery in Shiloh. I'm a holy God. Eli and his family is coming down. And the word of the Lord to Eli is words of judgment, but it's grace to Israel as they're reminded that your God is so great He will not be mocked by these priests who steal His offerings and sleep with the women who are serving in the temple. God will restore His glory. And these words that God gives Samuel will tingle in their ears. And then in verse 12, he says, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. If you remember in chapter 2, verses 27-35, through a man of God came and spoke to Eli that his family would be cut off from the priesthood and that his sons will will surely die on the same day? And God told Samuel, I'm going to fulfill what I have spoken. You see, the Word of God was rare in those days, not non-existent. God spoke to Eli, and in his pride, he listened he even agreed with it and then he did nothing you know eli kind of seems like a good why is eli going down he he seems kind of okay if you read chapter 2 but this messenger comes to eli he says, Why do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings? Why do you honor your sons above me and fatten yourself on the choiceless parts of offering from my people? He's saying, You know, I've spoken. I've told you what to do in the temple. Why do you scorn me and honor your sons and keep them where they are? Defaming God. And then in verse 13, God says, I declare to him I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Eli kind of tried, right? In chapter 2, verse 23, we read this. He said to them, after he heard all the evil things his sons are doing, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear The people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for them, for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Eli goes to his sons. He's like, why are you so evil? How are you going to have hope if you just blaspheme the name of God with no repentance? He he knows. He doesn't even like it. But God said, you got fattened off that meat they were stealing. You know, this is the I mean, basically, what this is, is Eli saying, Why do you do this? This is wrong. Do we got some more prime rib tonight for supper? You know? What you're doing's wrong. You know, we can kind of do this, can't we? Well, we want to point out where it's wrong, but then we, we'll, we're not afraid to benefit from sin. We're not afraid to, you know. I'd like to say none of us could ever relate with Eli. And so God speaks these words of judgment. They'd become so hardened that it was the will of the Lord to crush it. God didn't grant them repentance. And as we'll see in the coming chapters, judgment came. God's Word was fulfilled. To know about your sin is to no advantage if you don't humbly tremble before God in repentance and faith. You might say, yeah, this is sin. Yeah, this is wrong. But unless you humble yourself and tremble and believe by faith in Christ, you may have known the right thing, spoken the right thing, and end up without a Savior, the proud. God's Word is judgment on them, but grace to the humble. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Uzziah, 2 Chronicles Chronicles 26.16, but when he was strong, you know, this is one of the good kings, he started when he was 16 years old, humble, But as he gained all this success and accolades, we find this, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. You remember the message? Since God speaks grace to the humble and judgment to the proud, tremble before His Word. God is not looking for perfect. People. He's looking for humble people. And then his word comes as pure grace to them. And so realize the grace of God's word. Point one was longer than point two and three will be. Point two, rejoice over the giver of God's word. Look at verse. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not gone out yet. The lamp of God would stay lit from dark at night until morning. So this is early, early in the morning. It's almost morning, but the light is still burning. The lamp of God had not yet gone gone out And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then we get this familiar story where God calls Samuel three times. And Samuel, the call is so clear, he thinks it's Eli. We read in verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, what he's saying here is it's not that he didn't know the Lord like you read in chapter 2 verse 12 when it says, Now Eli's sons were were worthless men, they did not know the Lord. What it's saying there is Samuel had not yet known God personally and God had not revealed himself audibly giving him his word like he was going to continually do throughout his life. If you look at Isaiah, uh, you look at Moses, the first time God calls them, they struggle. Moses is like, no, you can find someone better. Yeah, I mean, we, you just see this consistently throughout the prophets. And we always focus on Samuel. Like, Samuel was listening, you know, at least he was listening, he was hearing, and trying to figure it out. And then finally, but really what's put on display here, I think, is the giver of God's Word. Revealing His character, His patience. You kind of expect maybe like, come on Samuel, figure it out, I'm talking to you. But you see, just see God coming to a humble boy, being patient with Him, Calling him. And then he goes to Eli and Eli figures it out. Okay, God is trying to speak to him. Even the grace of God for Eli to help Samuel figure this thing out. And I wonder what you think of the God who speaks. Of the God who gives His Word. I wonder what you Picture, is this God up here declaring his word and then impatient with us to get it is he get angry with us if we're not right on top of it you remember what Jesus said in John 16 to his disciples he said I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now he says the Spirit will come and guide you into these things. Here's, here's what I want you to know. The God who speaks His Word of grace to us is a kind, gracious, patient God with us. And if He wasn't, we would all be in trouble. Every one of us sitting here. Christ was patient. Christ understood the weakness of the flesh. And God in His grace not only speaks His Word with us, but He lets us come along at our weak, slow, pathetic pace without getting frustrated and destroying us. So let's look at the God who calls Samuel. He's giving grace to Israel in calling Samuel. Look at the kindness of God in the calling of this prophet. Thirdly, remember that it is only by God's grace if you are a receiver of God's Word by hearing it, obeying it, and speaking it. If you hear God's Word, if you strive to obey God's Word, and you speak God's Word, it is only by grace. He gets the glory not only for the giving, but the hearing of God's Word. Three different uh, points I want to make here. Hearing it. Samuel heard the call of God. Samuel had someone to help him hear it. By the grace of God, Eli told him what to do. And by the grace of God, Samuel wanted to listen to what God says. You might say, well, that doesn't take grace. Well, Eli listened, but not in a way that turned to obedience like it does with Samuel. You see the grace of God on Samuel's life in hearing God's Word. Someone might say, well, if the way God judged people in the Old Testament was keeping His Word from being spoken, not giving a prophet... Well, now that we got the Bible and the New Testament has been written, then the church is never under the judgment of God. Wrong. Or that the people of God, generally speaking, are never under the judgment of God. Because it's one thing for God to give it, but then what if a person doesn't have ears to hear what is spoken? You remember the job God gave Isaiah? You go speak and make their ears dull. That's my judgment on them. I'm going to give my words, and then I'm going to close their ears. Mark 4.9, Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. They asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And He says, so that hearing they will not hear if you hear God's Word, it is by the grace of God. God's Word is grace to us in the fact that He gave it and the fact that it's received and loved and heard. Do we not take for granted this great salvation that so many others have heard and just reject it. We take that for granted. By the grace of God, we hear. Second, do we obey God's Word? By grace are we able to obey it, unlike Eli, who could not, even knowing what was right, repent and humble himself and beg God for mercy. And thirdly, do you by the grace of God speak the words of God. Look at verse 15. After Samuel received God's Word, look at what we see here. Samuel lay until morning... So imagine, God gives him this judgment on his foster dad that he's growing up with in the temple of God. This is his dad, pretty much. God speaks judgment on Eli. And we read that Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Makes sense, doesn't it? You would be afraid. I'd be afraid. True prophets, the true prophets of God are willing to speak God's Word, but they weep over the message spoken in judgment to Israel or others. The faithful prophet will speak the attractive words of God in the words of judgment of God. Humbly, they will be faithful to speak all the tingling words of God. And I think we can all admit this is difficult for us. You know, it's a little easier to dish up the softer version for the neighbor next door when they're asking what we believe or how we feel about spiritual things. But by the grace of God, we hear His Word, we obey His Word, and we speak His Word regardless of what will happen to us. Every prophet had to struggle with this. Jeremiah said, "...for whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction." All the God's words that He's given, Jeremiah, is violence and destruction on Israel. "...for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long." If I say I will not mention Him or speak any more in His name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. The person who has the grace of God on their life may not want to speak God's Word, may feel, but the burning Jeremiah says, I hate speaking violence and judgment over and over to Israel. It goes on to say that all my friends hate me, they want to kill me, they want to get rid of me, but in my bones I have to speak the Word of God. Listen, if Jeremiah did not warn the people of Israel, he would have hated them. To speak the truth of God's Word, no matter how hard it is, is grace even to the proud man because it's an opportunity to tremble before God and cling to God for grace. And so we ought to speak it. In conclusion, realize the gift of God's Word. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as the glory of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Realize the gift of God's Word. God's Word, which has always been grace, becomes flesh and perfectly images the God of heaven. And what He reveals is grace and truth. Thank God for that. That Jesus came to bring the grace of God to this earth and speak true tingling words. Second, rejoice over the giver of God's Word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The kindness of God to send us His Word, His prophets, and then Christ. Third, remember it is only by the grace of God if you are a receiver of God's Word by hearing it, obeying it, and speaking it. And it's at this point you might be saying, this message wasn't that encouraging to me because I don't know if I hear it very good or if I want to hear it all the time. And I don't know if I obey it very good and if I want, even want to obey it all the time. And I don't know if I speak it very good. And here's what I want you to know that Jesus Christ perfectly heard God's Word. And Jesus said, I only speak the words that I hear from my Father who is in heaven. There was one man who perfectly heard from God. There was one man who perfectly spoke the words of God. And there was one man who perfectly was obedient to God. And that was Jesus Christ in your hope to receive, to enter the kingdom of God one day and to live with God in heaven is not how perfectly you do those things, but how perfectly, or not how perfectly, but if you've ever fallen down and clung to the one who did as your only hope. Remember? Since God speaks grace to the humble and judgment to the proud, tremble before His Word. I could say tremble under His Word. Here's what I mean by that. Come and fall underneath Jesus Christ as your only hope. And say, there's no hope without Him. He lived the perfect life that I could not live. He bore my sins on the cross, which I could not get rid of. And if you by faith fall under Christ and see Him as your only hope, then you've heard the Word of God. Because the Word of God is not mainly a bunch of rules that we cannot keep, but it's a bunch of rules that we cannot keep to drive us to the Savior who can save the worst possible sinner there ever was. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word all throughout the ages to Your people. Finally, in the person of Jesus Christ, our only hope, is if we hear the Word of Your grace. Lord, help us not to be proud people who think that we'll be justified by our goodness, but help us be people who humbly recognize our sin and tremble underneath Your Word. Help us under Your grace strive for holiness. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.